dropping on my face. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. Podcast. Welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to review a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, if you haven't been paying attention to your calendar, this Friday is August 13th, and if the My Pillow guy is correct and Trump is reinstated as president, it'll be the most frightening Friday the 13th sequel. Speaking of, have you ever watched a Friday the 13th movie marathon on TV and wondered why the network was only showing part 1, 2, 3, 6, 8, and Jason X? Well, every studio has an inventory list of the content they own, and they'll make a certain percentage available for purchase by various television networks to air on their channel. They'll usually do it for a limited amount of time because the studios don't want to burn out their inventory. It loses its value because if you've seen Groundhog Day on USA, then TNT, then Sci-Fi, then IFC, for a year straight, at some point, people are going to get tired of seeing it. It would feel like, well, Groundhog Day. So networks will reach out to the studios and ask them what content they have available. Each title will have a license period associated, when it starts and ends. So if a movie has a six-month window, they can say, I'll take a carve-out of two months. Another network might swoop in and say, I'll take a month. So as long as a window is available, the movie can be purchased by a network. That's why for years, one of the only places you could see the Godfather trilogy was on AMC, because they bought out as many windows as available. And most networks purchase movies anywhere from two to five years out. But it's also the reason why you don't always see all the films in a franchise during a movie marathon. Each title has their own license windows, so it's possible that only a handful were available at the time, or the network only wanted specific titles. Though it's always curious as to why something like Friday the 13th Part 5 or Star Trek 6 The Undiscovered Country isn't available. What network was like, no thanks, I'm gonna pass on Friday the 13th Part 1 and 2. I'll take 5. That's the ratings grabber. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of 5 stars, 1 star is skip it, 2 stars watch at your own risk, 3 stars standard fare, 4 stars worth checking out, and 5 stars must see. Now if I give a title 5 stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. I'll keep the spoilers to a minimum, tangents to a maximum. These are my ruminations and observations of the pilot episode for True Blood from 2008. The series was created by Alan Ball, who is responsible for Six Feet Under and Here and Now. He was the executive producer on Banshee and won an Academy Award for Best Writing, Screenplay Written Directly for the Screen for American Beauty. The show is based on the book series The Southern Vampire Mysteries by Charlene Harris, who also wrote the Aurora Tea Garden franchise, which has been adapted into television films for the Hallmark Movies and Mysteries channel, featuring Candace Cameron Bure. 
The first episode, Strange Love, was written and directed by Alan Ball. So, a couple drives down the road and passes by a sign that says, True Blood Available. They walk inside the convenience store, and a TV set is playing real-time with Bill Maher, who has Nan Flanagan from the American Vampire League on to debate the civil rights for vampires. She mentions that Japanese scientists have perfected synthetic blood to satisfy the nutritional needs which has enabled vampires to come out of the coffin. But fear still exists by humans, despite our history of slavery, war, and exploitation. The couple asks the clerk if he has true blood, because the latest trend is for humans to get high off the synthetic blood drink. He pretends to be a vampire to freak them out, unaware that an actual vampire is waiting in the line, who reveals himself and scares off the couple and threatens the clerk. This opening teaser is great. It establishes the world we're in. Using the political talk show to debate the validity of vampires in society was a clever way to communicate plot exposition without it feeling like they're lecturing the viewing audience. It actually reminded me of a scene in X-Men where Jean Grey is defending against the Mutant Registration Act in Congress. But I've learned what I need to know about the series from this teaser. Super solid. After the title sequence, we're introduced to Sookie Stackhouse, who's a waitress at Merlot's Bar and Grill. As she's walking to her tables, she can hear the customer's thoughts, which can range from negative self-talk, random musings, or degrading comments about her. She does have the ability to shut them out if she focuses. Sookie is portrayed by Anna Paquin, whose filmography includes Fly Away Home, the aforementioned X-Men, Almost Famous, and The Piano, which she won the Academy Award for Best Actress in a Supporting Role at the Age of 11. We meet the other members of the staff, including the owner Sam, who is overprotective and has a crush on Sookie, Waitress Dawn, who's a friends with benefits of Jason, who we'll meet a little later, and Lafayette, a flamboyant short-order cook. This is my odd TV observation. I know they're playing this scene off for comedic effect, but Merlot's Bar and Grill is going to have to close due to a lawsuit filed for the vast amount of sexual harassment among the employees. Now we find Tara Thornton, who works at a department store. She gets quickly annoyed by a customer who turns into a Karen and quits her job by trash-talking her boss. She calls up Sookie, her best friend since kindergarten, and tells her that she's stopping by the bar. Tara is played by Retina Wesley, who was in the series Arrow, Hannibal, and Queen Sugar. Then we have a gratuitous sex scene featuring Jason, the brother of Sookie. He's hooking up with Maudette Pickens when he notices fang marks on her leg. Says she was paid $1,000 to let a vampire bite her. She talks about how having sex with a creature of the night was intense and rough. She filmed the encounter and showed Jason. Even though he's disgusted by it, he recreates the axe with Maudette and goes so far as to choking her. Jason Stackhouse is portrayed by Ryan Quentin, who is in Summerland, Home and Away, and Dead Silence. Back at the bar and grill, a pale man walks into the establishment and makes eye contact with Sookie. She senses that he's a vampire and is excited about meeting one. The vampire, who we'd come to know as Bill Compton, is played by Stephen Moyer, who had roles in Quills, 88 Minutes, Priest, and The Gifted. He would marry his co-star Anna Paquin in 2010. Now a little trivial trivia. Not the first time Stephen Moyer has played a vampire. He donned the fangs in the British TV series Ultraviolet. Sookie approaches the table and they start flirting. Mac Ratray and his wife Denise overhear their conversation and start engaging with the vampire. Sookie reads Denise's thoughts about how they're going to kidnap, drain his blood, and sell it. She grabs the attention of Tara and wants her help to stop the Ratrays. She refuses, but as Sookie runs out, she agrees to cover her shift. 
Sookie uses her psychic ability to find the rat rays and comes across the vampire being held to the ground by silver chains while his blood drains. She chases off the rat rays who vows to get their revenge on her. Meanwhile, when Maudette Pickens is found murdered, Jason is accused when a tape of their encounter is discovered. Here's a quote without context. I'm sorry to break it to you, baby, but you're not my only source for a good time. I was really impressed with this pilot episode. I prefer movies and series that are based in reality but have a bit of a fantastical element to them. It kept me engaged the entire time. I like the character of Sookie. Part of her comes off as a bit naive, but she's strong-willed and demands respect, not a pushover. The only thing I'm tired of seeing is nudity in these shows. It feels like the writers have to justify why this series is on a premium network, so they add nudity to say, See, this couldn't air on ABC or USA. This is why you're paying more for HBO, Stars, Showtime, and Epics. To see some TNA. I'm not a prude or anything, it's just a tiring pattern. This is something to look out for. Lois Smith, who played Aunt Meg in Twister, is Sookie and Jason's grandma. Though not in the pilot episode, Alexander Skarsgård is a series regular as Eric Northman. Joe Manganiello will join the series in the third season as Elcide Hervo. The pilot episode was shot in Louisiana, but I'm disappointed that they didn't take more advantage of the locales, because it's a beautiful city to showcase on screen. It might be because they knew the rest of the series was going to be shot in California, so they avoided it to keep the consistency in the look of the show. When Bill comes back to the bar and grill, there was an interesting scene between him and Sookie. It was shot all in close-up, giving the impression that the vampire was hypnotizing her, and the way that they used some sound designs was really interesting. The cinematography for Strangelove was captured by Checo Vares, whose filmography includes It Chapter 2, Miracles from Heaven, Prom Night, the remake, and many television episodes. It was edited by Andy Kerr and Michael Ruscio, both of whom have worked on Allen Ball Productions previously. It was casted by the team of Libby Goldstein and Junie Lowry-Johnson, who worked on Homeland, The Killing, Big Love, and Ugly Betty. The song Bad Things by Jace Everett serves as the theme music for the series. The score was written by Nathan Barr, who also composed for The Americans, Beyond the Mat, Hostel, Grindhouse, and won a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Main Title Theme Music for Hollywood. He also worked on Alan Ball's latest feature, Uncle Frank. The soundtrack for the series includes artists My Morning Jacket, The Flaming Lips, Howling Wolf, Los Lobos, The Naked and Famous, Lucinda Williams, and Warpaint. Ultimately, the pilot episode comes down to Race Debate, God Hates Fangs, Oxycontin Nightmare, Super Save-A-Bunch, Mac Express, V-Juice, Whiskey Sour, Santa Claus, and Mortal. The runtime is 45 to 60 minutes per episode. It was nominated for over 150 industry awards and won a Golden Globe for Best Performance by an Actress in a Television Series Drama for Anna Paquin and a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Casting for a Drama Series. I give it 4 out of 5 stars. True Blood was on for 7 seasons, 80 episodes from 2008 to 2014. It was announced that HBO will be rebooting the series with Alan Ball set to executive produce, so I gotta start binging. If you've seen True Blood and have opinions on the series, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along. Each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. 
When he was alive, Patrice O'Neill was one of my favorite stand-up comedians. He was so naturally funny, and it didn't matter what the environment was. He could make an appearance on The Opie and Anthony Show and stay for two hours. He could be interviewed on Fox News. He can be a panelist on Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn. Or he could be doing a stand-up routine. He was always funny, and he owned the room. I think his special elephant in the room is one of the funniest things he's ever done. He started off the show interacting with the audience, but then smoothly transitioned into his comedy act without missing a beat. And you just never knew if what he was saying was part of the act or if he's just coming up with it on the spot. Just a brilliant dude. So the clip I'm featuring in this week's episode is when Patrice O'Neill was on The Opie and Anthony Show. There was an article written at the time about the worst movie sequels ever. So they're talking about each one and analyzing it, and they get to Friday the 13th Part 8. Patrice O'Neill starts giving a summary of every Friday the 13th movie. And not only is he doing it accurately, but the way he describes each movie is so damn funny. Again, this is not something that's scripted. It's just him off the cuff riffing, and it's absolutely hysterical. It's funnier if you know the movies, so if you don't, you might not get as much enjoyment out of it as I do. But this clip is one that really encapsulates who Patrice O'Neill is, and it's such a loss for the comedy world because he was on the verge of breaking out. Of his pants, but also breaking out as a mainstream star. But he definitely could have been up there with Bill Burr, Kevin Hart, Greg Giraldo, Nick DiPaolo, Louis C.K. as the best stand-ups of that generation. The clip is available in the Matt Watch That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Crystal Lake Memories, the complete history of Friday the 13th. If you're a fan of this storied horror franchise, this is the ultimate retrospective documentary, running over six and a half hours. Yes, six and a half hours. It has everything a devotee could want. Interviews with the cast and crew, behind-the-scenes footage on the set, and a deep dive into each movie, spin-off, and reboot in the franchise. You'll hear all the stories from the birth of the hockey mask, to the secrets behind those unforgettable kills, to the invention of the iconic ch 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 told by director Sean S. Cunningham, writer Victor Miller, producer Frank Mancuso Jr., actors Adrian King, Amy Steele, Corey Feldman, Kane Hodder, Betsy Palmer, special effects legends Tom Savini and Greg Nicotero, musician Alice Cooper, composer Harry Manfredini, and many, many more. They discuss the television show Friday the 13th, the series, about cousins Ryan Dalian and Mickey Foster, who inherit an antique store from their uncle and must retrieve cursed artifacts before they cause death to those who possess them. Even though it aired for three seasons, 72 episodes, and was a success during its syndicated run, since it had no connection to the movie series or Jason Voorhees, many hardcore fans were disappointed. Friday the 13th movies have raked in almost $400 million at the box office and made an entire generation scared of going away to camp. The documentary was directed by Daniel Ferenz, who also helmed my previous recommendation, Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy, about the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Crystal Lake Memories, The Complete History of Friday the 13th, is available for purchase on two-disc Blu-ray, or you can stream it now on Shudder. 
It was inspired by the book of the same name, written by Peter M. Brack. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Zarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. I plan on having interactive elements, so follow, subscribe, and like for all the latest news, updates, and polls. Until next time, I'm done with that. Joe Manganello will join the series in the third season as Alcide Herv... Herv... something like that. (laughs) Who also wrote the Aurora Tea Garden franchise, which has been adapted into movie films. Yeah, those popular movie films. Crystal Lake Memories, The Complete History of Friday the 13th, is available for purchase on two-disc Blu-ray, or you can stream it on now and shutter. I'm sorry, what was that sentence?